Hello and welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. I am Carlos Glazo, joined as always by Ben Badler. How's it going, Ben? I'm good, Carlos. Happy Leap Day. Well, yeah, it is Leap Day. I didn't even you really think about that, but get a, happy Leap Day, day to you. February. Does that mean we get an extra day of baseball, I guess? Kind of? No. Uh, really. I don't think so. Not really. <laughs> no. I think it's more of just an accounting accounting situation. But Where does the day it's go? Funny. <laughs> I have no it's clue. like that bodybuilding.com thread of how many days in the week are there? Oh, I missed this one. What was that? You've never? Oh, you got to, after this, just go Google like bodybuilding days in the week thread. It was. Is it just about people like programming their workout routines? No. Well, yes, yes, it is. So the, (laughs) I think, I think the genesis of it is a question saying how to, how many days per week do you train? And like four days a week versus three days a week. Mm. And it was somebody said, Oh, I, you know, I just do every other day. So that's four days a week. Yeah. And then there's this, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of page pages <laughs> in this thread of people arguing back and forth of how many days <laughs> in the week there are. Um, oh my gosh! I, I can't even do it. I, I'm ex- I'm excited to read this because I I do go onto like a bit of a rabbit hole on like youtube workout videos there's some like creators who put out like routines and stuff that i just like following because it's, it's interesting to me but it's kind of shocking that i haven't seen this because it feels like something i would have stumbled upon by now oh, I, I don't feel it like is, it really matters it's <laughs> for, oh, no, from, like it's, a, from like a weightlifting perspective it should just be like what body parts are you hitting and are you getting enough rest <laughs> i don't i don't know like, if you're fully uh, understanding this it's not how many days in a week the the argument is not even how many days in a week should you train it is literally how many days are there in the week? Because if you're training every other day, mm. somebody's arguing that it's four days a week. Somebody else is arguing that it's three. It, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, you, you just, you have to Google this okay. and, and read it because they're literally arguing over how many days. Well, how many days in are in the week. week for you, Ben? Well, there, I get seven days in the week. <laughs> gotcha. I, I get eight days year. a week, but um, my condolences to you for just having seven. Yeah, you, know, you, you you do what you can. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Okay, well, how have you been? We missed last week because I had some things off the field I needed to uh, deal with. Sorry for that for for everyone. I know like we had all this hype and anticipation building up, and then week one of college baseball, and we can't even record a podcast. So uh, my apologies for that. But how were your first two weeks of of college baseball, Ben? Have you been able to to watch enough, or are you too busy with? Uh, 2026 high school rankings and gearing up for spring training. Yeah, seeing uh, some of the games were on Flow Sports, so I had to go back and like watch them after the fact. But um, but yeah, some of the some of the pitching performances, especially, have been pretty electric. Obviously, like Hagen Smith uh, with Arkansas, the the start that he had uh, against Oregon State, where he struck out what was it, 17 batters um, yep, in like a six inning or something like that start i mean just utterly absurd completely dominant start against a lineup that is uh you know we had them on the cover of our magazine so <laughs> uh, of our college preview magazine so he wasn't just doing against some early season slouch opponent um so that was pretty uh, ridiculous to watch uh chase burns has been electric we've had I mean, Drew Burris, a freshman at Georgia Tech, hit four home runs 
in a game, uh, which was incredible. And then we had another guy in the state, Charlie Condon, hitting three home runs in a game. I mean, you know, it's it's super early. Obviously, not too many like sweeping takeaways mm. I, I want to make necessarily quite yet. But um, I mean, I, I think there's definitely been enough where some guys are. Uh, you know, if we come out with a new draft ranking tomorrow, which we're not going to do, but uh, we will come out with an update pretty soon. Um, mm. Like there's, I, I think like, I don't know if you feel the same, but there's definitely guys I'm like, Ooh, I would move this guy up. I'd move this guy yeah. down. Maybe, maybe more so up than down for the most part. Certain yeah. guys where you're like, Oh, we've seen this guy like achieve new heights, either in terms of the stuff they're showing or, Oh, like this guy's hitting the ball way harder than he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there's some some guys who are definitely making some moves up already. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the names you hit on are, are three of the more prominent, like Hagen Smith, Chase Burns. It would be unsurprising to see them get inside like top ten on the board. They're just outside of that right now. Uh, we currently have Charlie Condon ranked number eight. He feels light by at least three spots right now, and I think um, he's solidly in play for the top overall pick in this class, just given what he's doing. Uh, given some chatter. I mean, talking with scouts when I was out at the field, like just running our list by people in person and asking them what they think about the class. Like Condon was a name that was brought up pretty consistently before this even season really officially started going as a guy to like maybe get up a little higher. I think, I think um, there are a lot of scouts who view him kind of in that elite tier that he maybe you could consider him in on our current list, or maybe you would consider him just outside of it. Um, but I think just given what he's done over the first nine games, um, it really feels like there's no question. If you look at his overall track record as a hitter in his two-plus seasons now with Georgia, it's phenomenal. And I don't really think there's much difference uh, really in like his profile versus a Nick Kurtz. Uh, there's some differences there, obviously. But in terms of like the impact you're getting from a guy who might be a corner profile in college but has one of the better hit and power combinations in the class, he's been really exciting. Uh, guys like Chase Burns and Hagen Smith, when they're throwing strikes, they have some of the best pure stuff you'll see. Um, they strike out a ton of batters, and it's just a matter of, like, are they going to continue stacking those starts moving forward, uh, putting the ball in the zone, throwing strikes? I think with, with Hagen Smith specifically, his start against Oregon State, not only was it just statistically super impressive and overwhelming, I mean, striking out 17 of the 22 batters you faced and only needing 78 pitches to do that is like shockingly dominant um but even outside of like the velocity of his fastball and uh the bite of his slider i was impressed with his delivery and how he was doing it on the mound um i wrote about it this week i have a piece on the site that you can check out actually condon and and hagen smith are, are two guys that i got into some detail with but his delivery just looks better this year compared to a year ago there's less effort in the delivery he looks a little bit more physical he was already pretty physical a year ago but he just looks stronger um in the lower and the upper half i thought the arm speed was even a tick better i mean his velocity is up early this year we'll see how that progresses as he gets extended and we get throughout the season um, because his velocity was up in his first two starts in 23 as well and then he kind of tapered off um but man he looks much more like a starting pitcher early on than I would have expected him to. Uh, and, and I think that's probably one of the biggest questions you'll have for a lot of these pitchers, including Hagen Smith and Chase Burns. So that'll be fun to watch, but no, it's been, it's been cool to see some of these electric performances. I mean, we've been looking forward to that. Travis Bazana 
um, who swung over a few nasty sliders <clears throat> in that game against Hagen and Smith. He's been pretty electric. He's already, um, <laughs> he's like five home runs uh, on the season. His previous season high is 11. So he's showing a little bit more thump early this year. Uh, maybe that is an area of, of weakness or concern scouts had for a guy like him who's one of the best pure hitters in the class. And if he's hitting for more power, how do you view his profile? How do you stack him up to guys above him right now, like Nick Kurtz and J.J. Weatherholt, who's dealing with injury? So there's definitely a lot of moving parts, uh, a lot of things happening, a lot of players who are popping up. Um, it's a fun time of the year, and yeah, I'm excited to, to keep watching it and keep breaking it down. Yeah, I want to kind of dive into all those guys more, but... Uh... Charlie Condon, I mean, the comment you made about him being a potential 1-1 pick jumps out. Mm. Not like, all right, like he's number eight right now. <laughs> I think we've said uh, for, I mean, going back at least a year, that like the top of this 2024 draft class is wide open. Like there's yep. no obvious consensus 1-1 guy mm -hmm. in this class. Um, so anybody <laughs> could really jump up. Um and, yeah. and take that with Condon, though. I mean, it seemed like the what were some of the risk factors that you know at least coming into the year with him, right? Like Georgia outfielder, six mm -hmm. six, like two hundred ten to fifteen pounds, uh, huge dude. Um, what that he he might end up at first base, yeah, potentially. You know, big right-handed hitting first baseman with some. Uh, swing and miss risk to the mm -hmm. profile or what are the I guess what are the risk factors with him or what is what is he showing maybe differently early yeah. on or, or is he showing anything differently I think he is um, I think to address your first question like about the risk factors you, you touched on them a little bit there I think it, it's probably the two biggest risk factors were him, for him are probably just defensive profile where is he going to play um, and then also offensively, there was a little bit of swing and miss at times last year. He is a bigger guy with longer levers. And so that's like intuitively a, a concern you might have um, just with projecting his hit tool moving forward. He also doesn't have a super lengthy track record of hitting. I mean, he did play in the Northwoods League in 2022 before his, um, I guess, after his redshirt season. And he's with, a sophomore now. Georgia. Yeah, he's a redshirt sophomore. So in 2022 for Georgia, he didn't play any. He has one full season in 2023, which was phenomenal. Um, he hit 386, 44, 800. He played with Team USA. He played a little bit in uh, the Cape Cod League last summer. But it's not a like ludicrous track record of, of wood bat history. And so maybe there are some concerns if you get even more granular with like how the power will play with Wood. I don't think too many scouts are, are concerned with that. I think the raw power is pretty real for him. But you could maybe just look at his overall body of work compared to some of his peers on the hitting side and say, you know, we just have more data with these other guys. And so we have more conviction in their hitting ability. But if you look up now, it's uh, a, a total body of work with Georgia. 64 games, 417, 512, 855. Decent, like, yeah. His numbers are, are, are just ludicrous. He's looked phenomenal early this spring. And I think outside of what he's done offensively this spring, what, what I've heard from some scouts early on is just the athleticism has been more impressive than either they were expecting uh, or thought he was capable of. Mm. Uh, he has played a number of positions. He's bounced around between third base, first base, and left field. I think most people will probably project him as like most likely to be a corner outfielder 
which I think will probably help his case when there are so many other players who just look like first basemen in this class that he's going to be competing with at the same demographic. So the fact that he's moved around the outfield pretty well, he's actually looked pretty decent at third base. I would be surprised if he was a long-term third baseman. Um, but he's he's worked pretty well around routine balls there. He's made throws across the diamond. He had one pretty nice catch um, in foul territory as a left fielder coming in and making a grab over the left field fence. So I think just that baseline of athleticism has people more optimistic maybe about what he can be as a defender and, and therefore like his offensive profile will look a little bit more appealing um, if you if you don't think he's going to be locked into like a first base DH role. Uh, and so that on top of just what he's been doing offensively, I mean, he's he's near the top of college baseball right now in terms of average slugging percentage. I think he's behind only Drew Burris with seven home runs. Um, yeah, it's a pretty electric hit power combo from a guy who's, I mean, if you are optimistic on him, maybe he can play third base to start his career. So I think that's kind of what scouts are, are thinking about and seeing with him right now. Yeah, he strikes me as a very un-Guardians pick at number one. Not saying he his talent level can't mm. push him to that potentially, but um, for like who they ultimately end up picking, that would <laughs> that would that would surprise me. Unless I mean, again, unless he goes completely bonkers, and then and then I think even yeah, like the guys we have at the top right now would have to all like really struggle. Like to me, for him mm. to like, what would it take for him to jump ahead of Nick Kurtz, who? I think has a you know is you know is also a first baseman has defensive limitations although he is a good defender mm-hmm. at first base but it it still ultimately is first base or maybe he can yeah uh, run around a little bit in right field but like to me he would have to have like Nick Kurtz would have to have a he would have to struggle I think or, or hit some sort of a stumbling block at some point um, this yeah, season based on I what think- we've seen. I think that makes sense, especially if you just see the the kind of hitters the Guardians have really targeted in the past. They really like guys who can command the strike zone um, in terms of like their swing decisions and make a lot of contact. They have prioritized some guys in recent drafts in the first round who have more tools, um, but I don't know that like Charlie Condon has, is like a massive separator in terms of power versus Nick Curse. I think they're pretty close together in terms of their raw power tools, and I would have slightly more confidence in Nick Kurt's pure hitting ability. Um, I think most in the industry would at this point, uh, just given what he's done for two and a half years now. Um, It will be interesting to see how the Guardians do this because I still think, like you mentioned previously, there's not like a clear guy up top. I don't know if picking one will change how the Guardians prioritize like what they really target. It feels like you should adjust maybe how you operate in the draft when you're picking one. Um, Although because they are so tied to the model, maybe it's just like, this is the one team that won't really change how they're operating. It's just, they'll have access to a different tier of talent. And then you factor in like, if we're looking ahead to draft day and there's still like a big tier of players, like if, if Charlie Condon is in this top tier of players that includes a Weatherholt and a Kurtz and a Bazana and a Caglione, uh, and a Seaver King or a Chase, if Chase Burns gets into this conversation, like at that point, if they think there's no leader of the pack, is it just a matter of like, okay, who's going to take the best deal? Is it as simple as that? Could be. I mean, the Guardians have always um, saved money in the first round, and it seems like a typical move for teams picking 1 1 to save money with that slot. Um, so I guess it'll still depend on like how this all pans out. There's still time to 
there's plenty of time, obviously. But I do think Condon is like squarely in the mix of like top players in the class at this stage. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if someone was like, "Yeah, I, I prefer Condon to Kurtz or to Weatherholtz." Um, like, it might not be my personal choice, but I think I think he's like squarely in the mix of these guys. All right. What about uh, yeah, you mentioned Travis Bazana at Oregon State, who's hitting? Uh, yeah, this is like all early seasons. So, although Oregon State is obviously, you know, they played Arkansas. Like you said, he faced Hagen Smith. Didn't <laughs> didn't didn't go well for anybody. Not not just uh, <laughs> Travis Bazana in that uh, Oregon State lineup, but he's hitting four thirty eight, five twenty six, one thousand thirty one is the slugging, not the OPS. <laughs> um, five home runs, and then I mean, this is a guy who's you know, ever since he got to Oregon State, people have been raving about the pure hitting ability with him um and now you know he hit he hit 11 home runs last year he's halfway there now uh had a, crazy yeah had a great summer in the cape last year and uh i mean the exit velocities that you know that we got from that series against arkansas were really really loud i mean does that do you think this has enhanced his profile or is this just kind of a continuation of, all right, well, he's number three on our draft board right now, like mm. very much in consideration for being in that one spot. Uh, is this kind of more of what we've seen so far from where we've already had pretty <laughs> high up? I would like to get a little bit bigger of a sample Um to, to have any confidence in saying that his approach is different, but it does seem like early on he's trading a little bit of contact for more power. And again, it's such a small sample that maybe it's just like, this is how the batted ball outcomes have been. And he's really just doing the same thing. Maybe he's gotten a little bit stronger. Um, this is just like, could be natural progression for him getting to more of his power. But I mean, the fact that he is hitting for, for more power, I think has to change the equation for Bazana moving forward. If, if he like maintains this, I mean, it's hard to maintain a five homers per eight game pace over the course of the season. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I do think it changes like how you think of him. I mean, prior to the season, the reason that I preferred JJ Weatherholt to Travis Bazana was largely because Weatherholt had shown more power in game. He had used the opposite field for power. He had just gotten to his power more frequently. And I was more optimistic that he would be a plus hitter with some impact ability compared to Bazana. Uh, you're looking now and Bazana has not cheated himself with these home runs. They've been really impressive. You mentioned the exit velocity data. I think, I think those uh, metrics are important for teams and we'll have a, again, we should have a, a pretty good understanding of like what the exit velocity data is over the full season. Once we get further into the year and can get some of this data more in bulk rather than just like seeing a few games that were really impressive individually. But yeah, I think that has to change um, how you view the player. Maybe it's not super significant. You mentioned he's already number three on the board. It's not going to be a, a huge move either way. But if you came into this year uh, viewing Bazana and Weatherholt as equal, and now you have Bazana kind of running out of the gate, hitting for this power, looking great offensively, um, and Weatherholt is now dinged up and dealing with a, a hamstring injury. I mean, maybe that's enough to to kind of flip those players for now until Weatherholt can come back and you can compare them again. Um, but it's so razor thin and neck and neck in this class that I think all of these small changes really matter. Uh, again, like once we get a full month of data for Bazana, I'm really curious to look at like his overall contact rates because I think he makes such he makes plenty of contact more than enough. If he's trading a little bit of that and getting to more in game power, I would imagine that is like a, a trade off that most teams would be more than happy with. 
um, when projecting him moving forward. Like he has the the pure hitting ability to give up a little bit of that if you're gaining some pop. Yeah, it, just, it seems like he's gotten stronger and added more power uh, yeah. pretty much every year. Like we, 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 you know, we saw it last year in the summer with wood bats too mm-hmm. in the Cape. Like sometimes I, you know, like we're seeing, not that it's like new this year, but um, it just like the, you know, people talk about like the bats in college baseball and, you know, it's not specific to Bazzano, but just like all of college baseball of like, what is yeah. going on here? Like JJ <laughs> wrote the story last year on it. Like sometimes with, you know, and, and we see guys with like wood bats, like very different, you know, and it should be, there should be some difference, obviously mm-hmm. going from swinging the bats or swinging in college to swinging wood bats and, you know, whether it's a summer collegiate league or in, mm-hmm pro ball like yeah there should be a difference in exit velocities but for some hitters you're like well this is a very big (laughs) difference (laughs) in exit velocity so having the you know the wood bat track record too that he has that he put together in the cape and hitting for power in the cape and you know showing the higher exit velocities already starting to flash it last summer like i I think that's a big factor (laughs) in his favor for teams who you know, might be wary of like, eh, like what's what's going on here <laughs> yeah. at the at the college level in, in and recent I, years. I wonder if like the fact that it was so hot last year gives the teams like more confidence that they can just compare twenty twenty three to twenty twenty four. Like if you're dealing mm-hmm. with hot bats across the board in twenty three and you're dealing with the same hot bats seemingly this season, it certainly looks like the case in twenty four. Does that make you feel more confident that you can just say, Okay, well, whatever the number was in twenty three, it's plus three or whatever on average or 90th percentile. And that still is maybe um, can tell you that there's been some sort of gain, even if like ultimately all the numbers are a little artificially high. I think in general, it's like a one or two mile per hour difference in an average exit velocity when you're translating from metal to wood, like in on the whole for most players, uh, I guess not for most players, but on average. Um, so I think there are probably some, some really smart people with the team side that, that have a much better understanding of how to, to translate those, maybe uh i don't know how you would how you'd classify them because you're right like not every player is using a hot bat but it just feels like the safest assumption is to assume they're all using hot bats because of the environment we've seen in college baseball i think the the home run rate is like 1.08 uh 1.06 1.08 uh home runs per game for division one hitters so far this year and last year it was like 1.11 to 1.13 somewhere in that range uh, and apparently, as the season gets warmer, uh, that home run rate is going to go up. So I'll be curious to see if we're breaking another um, just home run record for college baseball this year. Would not be surprising at all. Yeah, no, he'll. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really want to see JJ Weatherholt get mm. just back on the field because I feel like he's getting a little lost in the conversation right now with some of the starts that like Pizana yeah. and some of these I mean, other guys are off too. Definitely getting lost in the conversation just because it's fun to talk about what the players on the field are actually doing. But I, I think Weatherholt's track record is just so superlative that it'll be really difficult to remove him from consideration. I, I think back to when Nick Madrigal was hurt in his draft year. I believe he had a handmate injury or something like that. He missed a decent amount of time. And his stock was pretty much unaffected from that. Um, I'm not sure if you're more concerned about a hamstring injury or a lower half, like soft body tissue injury than a handmade injury for a player in terms of like moving forward. Um, but yeah, I would, I would imagine when he comes back, he'll just hit the ground running. I just have such confidence in his pure hitting ability. I meant to ask, you mentioned that you don't think Condon is a very guardians sort of pick. Do you think Bazana 
is more in 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 line with like Cleveland's preferred flavor of prospect? A uh, left-handed hitter who makes a ton of contact, controls the strike zone, and has a long track record of hitting and is not necessarily the biggest guy on the field uh, uh, and is a middle infielder, uh, is you know is going to be limited to second base. So he's not going to play shortstop. Yeah, I think he's uh, uh, very much a Guardians-flavored player. But I mean, like I think... I think Weatherholt and 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 Kurtz too are like again they're not just taking little guys like Chase DeLouder, yeah, um, who had a nuke the other day, um, was is their kind of guy too. And I think mm-hmm. that's you know <laughs> Nick Kurtz is not not the athlete maybe that DeLouder has, but in certainly in terms of the size and physicality and some of the hitting traits, there's some commonalities in there. Yeah, I, I think I would probably agree, although it is interesting to think about just I'm fascinated by like we're so used to Cleveland picking in the middle or back of the first round and all of a sudden they're picking one, like how that changes their process or if it even does is is constantly fascinating to me. OK, any other hitters that, that you've been excited about early on or you want to move towards Chase Burns and Hagen Smith? I'm curious which of those you prefer because I know you entered the year as a huge Chase Burns fan. I can't imagine anything he's done so far this year has pushed you off that take. No, he has not. Uh, he has not underwhelmed. <laughs> uh, I also got Hagen Smith on my uh, on my fake draft team that we oh. got the other. Hey, uh, I got I got Charlie podcast. Condon on my team. So each of us has, has popped one of these. Uh, well, you got both. You got Burns and Hagen Smith. I did. That's right. That's Let me actually nice. see. Thanks I have for... our I have our teams really quickly here. No, I, I know. I know. I got them both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Those are your first two pitchers. You took Chase Burns, Hagen Smith. Uh, I think you took Weatherholt, then you took, who was your second? I took Burns second. Burns second, okay. I took Kurtz, and then I took Condon, I believe. No, Kurtz, King Condon. I got King third, or Condon third somehow. If we re-ran it, I don't think I'd get Condon there. Um, But you might also not get Hagen Smith where you got him, so. No, I mean, what (laughs) Hagen Smith did, he faced, uh, so he faced 22 batters, and he Mm. struck out 17 yeah um it was just totally dominant he was i mean he was sitting at 97 miles an hour with his fastball um it was touching 100 miles an hour especially early on it was living in the upper 90s and as good as that fastball was he was throwing this mid upper 80s slider so he threw 38 slide or excuse me 36 sliders 28 strikes with it so 78 percent strikes just yep. with his slider yep. after also throwing 76 percent strikes with his <laughs> fastball uh, so he got 19 swings on that slider and 17 misses so a swing and miss rate of 89 percent <laughs> on that slider again with a lineup with travis bazana and uh, you know gavin turley and, and trent caraway who's who's one of the best freshmen in the country uh, a, a really good team. This is not in you know an early season. It's not a February yeah. start against you know some small program that they're just gonna. Yeah, he's not just beating over. up on like a, a huge talent disparity here. Yeah. Um, so w- with Smith, I think he's always had really good stuff. I think his stuff is 
jump to another level based on what we saw <laughs> in that His last fastball start. velocity is three on average through two starts his velocity is three ticks higher than it was over the full season in 2023 and if you just compare the first two starts of the season the velo is still up a full tick so it is up this year um and like you said he entered the year with like plus pitches in the fastball and slider and i agree they've looked only even crisper so far yeah i mean teddy and uh, Peter had a good conversation on the on the Baseball America on the college podcast on on that feed just about like where it stacks up and and I think Teddy had some good points about like hey like you know <laughs> Ty Floyd last year just had one of the most <laughs> dominant uh, starts in um, uh, what was it I forget which round it, it was in for LSU mm-hmm. um, last year and then you know Kumar Rocker few years back had that 19 or 17 strikeout whatever it was um no hitter for vanderbilt uh, also like you know in a you know in, in these regional games in these yeah. much bigger uh environments than a regular season game but like yeah i mean for a regular season game to be as that's that's about as dominant <laughs> as <Yes>. it gets <laughs> um i i think it's it's the single most dominant start we've seen so far in college baseball this year and i would be like it wouldn't be surprising at all if we looked up at the end of the season and it still was like the most dominant we've seen just in terms of like pitch efficiency and just overwhelming hitters like it it's crazy oh yeah like, like i said he's i mean th- and it was 36 swings 25 misses like he was running mm-hmm. a 70 or 69 percent swing and miss rate struck out 17 of the 22 batters he faced only walked one guy um the hits he gave up were like not hard con like not (laughs) deep contact or anything Mm -hmm. like that either just total total domination one Uh, was a drag bunt on the first baseline i know i don't remember what the other two were off the top of my head but yeah yeah i mean it and but the thing with smith was hey like how is his control going to be how is his command mm-hmm. going to be this year and i i'm not going to say after two starts that like all <laughs> all is fixed all is cured um mm-hmm. it's you know <laughs> you know the, the start before that was not like overwhelming or anything no, like that and but... i think that's a good point to make because i think with almost every pitcher that we're talking about here uh, I, I think even Chase Burns you could include in this. Like they have had really dominant starts, but they've also still been inconsistent for two weeks. Hagen Smith's first start of the season was against James Madison. He pitched one inning, he allowed one hit, three in runs, a home run, two walks, struck out two. So like not as good, obviously. And, and not to say that every outing needs to be a seventeen strikeout gem, but I do think that like Hagen Smith is a player who in flashes we have seen this sort of dominance. And I think uh, maybe not this sort of dog. I don't know. This is a guy who like in high school, he had like seven no hitters where he's striking out everyone. I saw him very early last year when he was in the zone and he, the numbers weren't as good, but he looked this dominant. Like the stuff was insane. Like in short stretches, he, he had like, it doesn't surprise me that he's been this good. I would say like the fastball is, is great. The slider is phenomenal. It has such hard late biting action and for me the biggest question like even if the even if that fastball velocity ticks down to what it was a year ago i would be fine with the stuff i'd be more than happy with the stuff if he can just throw more strikes i mean the strike rate is a little bit better um but is he is he going to be a guy who is consistently pushing like a 70 percent strike rate with his fastball and slider moving forward if he is like 
great. He's going to go like top five or something. Uh, even even if he's not throwing the changeup, I don't think he needs to throw the changeup too much, given what he has and how the slider plays to both sides. But I I think the most important thing for all of these top pitchers in the class is just showing quality strikes from outing to outing. I think that's like the the stuff no one questions the stuff of Chase Burns and Hagen Smith. It's just the the quality of the strikes. Yeah, I mean he's at a you know he's averaging five point three walks per nine for his career. I mean it was five three last year, five four the year before. So yeah, the, the strikes is going to be the big thing for Smith because I, I don't think anybody who watched that start has too many questions about mm-hmm. the stuff. I mean you know, if you want to question, I guess the change up like whatever he's not yeah he threw three change-ups in this game 88 to 89 they didn't look great i mean he i think he used it only to right-handed hitters in this look there's a tick of fading action but he kind of missed to the arm side a little bit again like when the you got a fastball and slider swing and miss <laughs> yeah. lefties righties when you got a fastball but. when you got a fastball slider combo this good it, it makes sense to me that you're not going to be using your changeup a ton in a college game and i think it, it just seems like a changeup is one of those pitches that can kind of develop a little bit later um but yeah, yeah he's yeah i think um I, and i think aaron fit our, our former colleague at ba had a tweet saying it, it reminded him of uh, uh vintage carlos rodon mm. when he was at nc state just that lefty with the yeah. high octane fastball and a knockout slider and when he tweeted that i was like "Ooh, i <laughs> i agree with that yeah i was like you know like you know when somebody says something you're like oh like that's spot on it's also a little yeah. bit like aggravating you're like oh why, why like why didn't i think of that first and i was like oh like, well that, aaron had that, probably that. the best view of of anyone who watched this he was like right behind the dish from the the lower like suite level like globe life so yeah he, when he, i remember i mean good, i used to good. live in and i used to live in raleigh when uh mm. Rodon, not that i was like watching him all the time back then necessarily but and i remember when with the collegiate national team at the time and when when rodon was i mean when he had that slider working in in college it was i mean he was he was unhittable it was mm. <laughs> dominant <laughs> that, that really did seem like what what hagan smith looked like the other night so um if he you know <laughs> help people remember what carlos rodon looked like prior to 2023 obviously not his <laughs> finest uh moment on the field, but like when he was at his best at NC State, it was pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous. Uh, reason yeah. why he went third overall in the draft. <laughs> so, would you take Hagen Smith over Chase? But let's say you're drafting today, <clears throat> all the hitters that you're interested in are gone. Hagen Smith and Chase Burns are your top two players on the board. Which of those two are you taking? Which do you prefer? I, I am still gonna take Chase Burns, obviously. Based on what, I mean, based on what Hagen Smith showed, like, not that I expect him to go out and repeat that, but if he, if again, like we're talking about, if he can go out and just consistently throw strikes mm. this year and, and show he can command his fastball uh, at a, you know, pretty good rate, then yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I might consider flipping them. But uh, I mean, all, all the stuff we were just raving about Hagen Smith, I mean, Chase Burns is sitting in the upper 90s with his fastball as a starter. Now, it's not the same. You know, you get an extra day of rest in college. You're, you're pitching once a week. It's it's a little bit different, so probably tick down in pro ball. But um, not, not just the velocity, but 
the life on the pitch. And then the slider is, I mean, upper 80s, touching low 90s slider, vicious life on that pitch. Um, man, he, he's been just the stuff coming out of his hand, he, even in the like preseason, uh, like that intra-squad scrimmage where where Josh Norris was there and shot video of him there. I was like, oh my goodness, this <laughs> looks really good. And, and maybe there haven't been a ton of questions about Chase Burns' stuff, although I do think it looks better this year than it has before. Uh, I think probably the questions with him have been more uh, command delivery uh, mm. results, frankly, to yeah. uh, last year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very much in on Chase Burns. Yeah, I mean, Chase Burns so far this year, his first start against Illinois was definitely his sharpest of the year so far. It was six innings, uh, shutout innings, 10 strikeouts, just one walk. He allowed three hits, um, all singles. His next start against Dayton wasn't quite as crisp, but he still threw 5.1 innings, struck out eight, walked four, allowed five hits, three in runs, including one home run. Uh, I think the Burns versus Smith conversation is fascinating because I think both are similar in the sense that they have some of the best pure stuff in the class. You can maybe say that like the best right-handed stuff in the class is coming out of Chase Burns' hand. The best left-handed stuff in the class is coming out of Hagen Smith's hand. I think they both have reliever question marks for maybe different reasons. Chase Burns' walk rate in his career has actually been pretty solid and in line with a lot of first-round college pitchers in the class. There's a piece I did, I think, just before the season started, just kind of looking at the track record of, of strikes for college pitchers, and Burns was perfectly respectable. Hagen Smith's walk rate has not been quite that good, um, but I also think you have the handedness with with Hagen Smith. You'd give, if everything is the same, you'd probably want to have the left-handed pitcher. Um, you have delivery questions with Burns, or at least I have delivery questions with Burns that I... I now have less so with Hagen Smith. Um, and I'm curious like how you view the maybe walk advantage or, or just control advantage you could probably give to Burns in his college career versus a really high effort uh, delivery and a really long arm action versus a guy like Hagen Smith who has always posted a higher walk rate in his college career. But maybe, and I'm, if, you, if you disagree, let me know if you think the deliveries are comparable or don't really matter. But I'm curious how you think through these two players. Cause I think if you ask me today, I might prefer Hagen Smith just because of the handedness, because I think the delivery is a little cleaner. Um, but I, I do think it's close. I wouldn't fault anyone for, for taking one or the other. Yeah. You like your, you like your lefties, Carlos. I'll give you that. <laughs> hey, you can't teach left-handedness, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, so, so what are, what are the concern with Burns specifically? What are the, delivery question marks is it the the arm action some of the effort or, or my head my action? questions i have like i would say three question marks with with the delivery one is the length of the arm action it is quite quite deep and long and that's been a consistent mechanical question mark or concern that scouts have had with him dating back to his prep years like i think it is a little better than it was in high school it's not like quite as aggressively like it used to be the super deep really extended in the back it still has quite a bit of length so that would be one question mark uh, that aspect of the delivery i also just think he has a lot of effort throughout his um throughout his arm stroke there's a lot of head movement and he has a significant amount of recoil in his finish 
And I just don't think you see a lot of starting pitchers at the big league level who who look like that. That's not to say that like he can't be a starter because of it. I think there are always exceptions, and I think with both hitters and pitchers, it can be dangerous if you get too hung up on like how it looks. Uh, I think the stuff and, and how it plays in the strike zone is more important. So those would all be questions that I have. And I had some of the same questions with Hagen Smith a year ago. I thought his effort looked a little bit effortful, less effortful than Chase Burns. Um, I thought he did have some recoil, but after looking at Hagen Smith early this year, like I said, I think he is quite a bit stronger or he looks better physically. The arm speed looks faster and easier. It seems like there is less effort and less recoil in his delivery. So just like mechanically, I'm more drawn to Hagen Smith's and I'm like, I'm given a little bit more pause with Chase Burns. Um, so those would be my big ones. I'm curious, like if you think that is like not as big of a concern, like how much of a, a starter reliever concern would those things be for you? Uh, I, I think it, it depends on the individual. So th- there are pitchers who have long arm actions who are starting pitchers who throw strikes. I mean, in a vacuum, yeah, like if you have a very long arm swing in the back, um, it just it takes more um, – it, it can be more challenging to be consistent and, and hit your release point and sync up your delivery than if you have a, a more, you know, mechanically efficient arm action. Uh, like I hear scouts, you know, just talking to them about, you know, strike throwing arm action. Um Remember, like the first time hearing a like a like a veteran, <laughs> uh, very successful scout uh, talk about that, uh, and I was like, "What? What do you mean by that?" And they had like a pretty in-depth conversation uh, mm. about that, and it's yeah, it's like it's becoming a lot more common now to yeah to hear about guys like shortening their arm yeah. action, but I don't think I don't think everybody necessarily has to. I agree. Do that. that there there are guys who can have a a longer arm stroke and throw strikes or throw enough strikes uh, to make it work. If, if that's just the way their, you know, their body wants to, to move. Um, so I, I don't think it's like a one size fits all. On the other hand, if a guy is having trouble <laughs> throwing strikes and he does have that longer arm swing. All right. It's certainly something to be mindful of the, like the head, the head effort, like the head whack stuff again, like that's, that's real. I mean, there's, there's some, I know like some scouts, like veteran scouts who are like, have like no interest. Yeah. I would say that the fact that I've had conversations with scouts who I know have done a really good job IDing and scouting pitchers specifically that just don't like that head whack that, that probably also just, like red flags pop up for me more now than maybe it would have like six years ago if I'd seen the same pitcher. And I think that Chase Burns has like an exceptionally violent head whack. I'm looking at him right now and there's just a lot of movement and recoil in his finish of his delivery, which would really just give me concerns about how he's going to command consistently at the next level as a starter. It just looks like a reliever operation and I also have had some just not great looks in person where the fastball plays down. That's not a huge concern for me, but it's just another piece that would maybe edge me towards Hagen Smith, who I have seen better in person. Like these these information asymmetries I have with my in-person looks is also feeding into this. And when it's like so razor thin for me on the margins here, it's it just leading me towards preferring the left-hander who I think has a little bit better of a delivery. 
Yeah. So when Max Scherzer was in college, I mean, look, well, I guess what he was like for the, before the, I think it was like the independent ball, if I, I'm trying to remember his whole story right now, but you know, when, when he was going into the draft, like there was a big question mark on him of like, is he a starter? Is he a reliever? Like he has this, you know, really good fastball slider combination. Uh, but they, you know, questioned the delivery. Uh, there was, you know, questions about the effort to it, the uh, some of the, the head movement that he, that he had to. So um some some guys are, are are able to make it work. Max Scherzer is a freak, and he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. So, um, you know, I'm not saying it works for everybody, but you know, whether it's him or like Chris Sale had his delivery critiqued and and picked apart, and you know, it's it's fair to you know point out risk factors in a uh, or you know at least what we think are risk factors in a pitcher's delivery and trying to project the future for him but uh there there certainly are guys where it's like all right like this the stuff is clearly <laughs> yeah good enough like all right well maybe it's not like quite as free and easy as we want but clearly there are things working now in chase burns's case all right well he, he's still gonna have to answer some questions I, I think beyond just the delivery because the results it wasn't like bad results he struck out a ton of guys last year and when he was at Tennessee but I mean he he wasn't even a full-time starter at Tennessee last year right like so there there's still there's still questions beyond I think just the delivery with him but I, I guess if he goes out to me if he goes out and continues to have a really strong season like the start that he's off to right now and just continues this up until um the draft, obviously, it's you know more tough test going against the ACC lineups. He's going to have to start facing pretty soon than than the you know what he's seen so far. But uh, mm. if he continues that, like I guess I'm I, I have less concerns, it's especially if a guy to me like all right, like if there's also a lot of effort in your delivery and, and you've been hurt a lot, that would be. I was gonna record. I was gonna ask this because Hagen Smith does have a Tommy John surgery already on his resume and he had it in high school which maybe is more concerning than if you have a Tommy John surgery once you're a little bit more developed how much of the medical side leads you to like maybe be more concerned about um, reliever risk for a pitcher whether that's specifically Hagen Smith and Chase Burns or just like in general in how you're thinking about pitchers like is, yeah. is a medical concern more concerning for you than how the delivery looks uh yeah, I think again, like it. It depends on the like if a guy has you know delivery. You need a one flat. size fits all answer that applies to every player. Ben, come on. Yeah, it makes for a better uh, <laughs> social clip. Makes for a uh, better take. I can clip it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, like in college, I mean, Hagen Smith has thrown, you know, never like we we never seen him throw more than eighty innings in a season. It's not a criticism of him. It's just a fact of the college schedule. Um, like you, you don't get to see a guy, can he hold up over a starter's workload on a pro schedule over, I mean, at least let's say like 120 to 150 innings now. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's great. To, uh, there, there's no question the stuff is back, but 
yeah, I mean, if you've already had a Tommy John surgery, if you've already had some major medical issue, uh, I think it's a red flag that that could come up again. And, and there probably is a, a shorter shelf life or like a shorter window of, um, you know, how long you can expect a player who's already had a Tommy John surgery to, um, especially at a young age to continue. I mean, um, maybe is not as much of a factor if you're drafting him and, and you think he's going to get to the big leagues quickly and you'll have him, you hope for, you know, six or so years uh, in the big leagues before he hits free agency. But yeah, to me that, that the medical part of it is, is a pretty significant factor. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about like how that'll be viewed. Cause he has put on a lot of innings and like you said, the stuff has come back and he's pretty far away from the TJ now. So like, I wonder if that TJ for teams is more concerning because of where it happened um, in his just development overall, or if teams would be more concerned with a pitcher who, let's say, had Tommy John surgery the spring before their draft year. And so you just have less of an understanding of like what the pitcher is at the time you draft him. I, I don't know which one, like right now as I'm talking this out, would be more concerning to me. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think if you see Tommy John right before their draft year, especially if it's somebody where... <sighs> I mean, I'm trying to like, you know, like like Reggie Crawford is is like a different like a Connor Prelip or a Peyton Pellette sort of. Scenario. Well, I'm thinking of. Well, I was gonna tie into like if if you just have like a limited performance track yeah. record from a guy too, like hey if, Connor Prelip. Yeah, or like did, was Jaden hit? Was that Tommy John with him, or was that another operation? I, I forget what it was, but like like those 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 kind of that's the kind of stuff that scares me. Where it's like okay. Yeah, like you're really excited about stuff with a pitcher. Mm. Uh, okay, I get it, but then these guys have yeah. Hill no, Hill was Tommy John. Yeah, like a very little track record. So you, like you don't know like there's major durability questions already. Then you have to you know Tommy John. We think it's like oh like all right, well you know put some ice on it. Like he'll be back out in a year <laughs> and like no like it's yeah. not a guarantee that stuff is going to come all the way back it's... i mean usually it does but it's not it's not a guarantee so you have to wait and see if that returns and then mm. all right well how how is does he going to have the durability to handle a starting pitcher's workload uh certainly more risk in that with somebody who's already had dj and has very limited tracker in college and then because there's a limited track record you just haven't seen him get tested a whole bunch um throughout the course of even a, a college season to see how the stuff is going to play uh at that level so those are the guys to me where i'm i'm usually like way lighter on <laughs> compared to um I, probably most people in in the industry yeah it's crazy to think about the amount of innings Jaden hill had entering his draft year just given the injury he dealt with and COVID, he was in college from 2019 to 2021. His first year with LSU, he pitched two games. He threw 10 innings. His next year in 2020, he pitched out of the bullpen in four games. He threw just 11 innings. And then in 2021, he started seven games uh, through 29 innings. His total college workload 
is 51 innings, and that is well, <laughs> that what is was less. his ERA or like what for his overall college ERA was 4.21, yeah. 51 innings, um, nine starts, 13 games total. Uh, struck out 9.3 per nine, walked 3.5 per nine. And again, like both Hagen Smith and Chase Burns in their first years in college through 80 or 77 innings, Chase Burns had 80 innings, 14 starts. <laughs> Hagen Smith had 15 starts and 77 innings in just one year of college baseball. I forgot yeah. how little he just had. $1.7 million in the second mm-hmm. round. So you're saying you wouldn't have spent that money on Jaden Hill? Correct. <laughs> I, I mean, like I, I understand why teams are get so fascinated and excited by that, but like, man, I, it's a lot more. So for you the, for the opportunity cost of who else is available in mm. those spots, I, I just wouldn't be able to. So you're say. also you also wouldn't have drafted Kate Horton. Uh, I was Kate even, yeah, even higher not. draft capital, yeah. seven overall. I mean, he did have 53 innings in his draft year. Um, but again, he entered the year with a lack of track record. He also uh, came back. He did come back. The, yeah, he came back. Yeah. So, so is a lack of track record, like, I guess at what point is it like too concerning for you? Cause he had one year really pitching at Oklahoma, just 53 innings total. Um, it's pretty close. It's actually like two innings off. Uh, what Jaden Hill had over three years, but the fact that he was able to just log those 53 innings would give you more confidence. And again, maybe uh, just the talent differences doesn't make this comparable because we are talking about a guy who was seven overall compared to a second rounder. But yeah, he, I mean, he, I think, yeah, I think that there, there's a talent difference there. Um, he came back, like he showed it. What was it up to, to the, I forget which round it was into, but um he came back and like showed it all down the stretch and was really, it's like you saw the stuff was there. The stuff mm-hmm. came back. Um, what, what, what I personally have taken him that high. No, I, I would have not, but yeah. <laughs> it clearly has worked out for him. And it's not again, like um, again, a, a different situation because he'd already come back, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's an example of like, yeah, it can still work out or has <laughs> worked out so far. So yeah, um, just my, general preference yeah ben ben doesn't like to take big shots he likes safety he's he's very afraid of taking on risk you know we all have our flaws ben it's okay uh one one other question i had about kind of start a reliever risk and how much you value this is like the diversity of a pitch mix because i think again both chase burns and hagan smith if you want to get really nitpicky with them you could say you know what you guys are like two pitch pitchers at this point you both have thrown changeups, but you rarely use them they're definitely further behind the fastball breaking ball combo. How much do you need to feel confidence in a pitcher having three offerings? Um, like how much do you think that matters for a starter projection? Uh, and I guess how much would you critique a guy or be skeptical if they just haven't shown an ability to use three pitches? Um, and I guess this probably, I think this maybe is more important at different levels. Like I don't think many people are too concerned with high school players not throwing changeups. Most of them are still kind of learning that pitch in general. Um, but maybe as you get closer to like when you're expected to be in the big leagues, you could be more critical of that. But how in general do you think of like diversity of pitch mix or deep pitch mix? Um, Spencer Strider is sort of trying to change how we think about this uh, as a successful starting pitcher with a very limited um, pitch repertoire. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think there's probably also very few pitchers on the planet who have the two pitch mix that Spencer Strider has. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you have that two pitch mix, then yes, 
uh, I think it can work. Um, and, and I think it, yeah, it's different at each, at each level. Um, if, a if a college pitcher has, is really a two pitch guy, uh, yeah, there's some, some concern there about, um, you know, can, can he get hitters out from both sides of the plate consistently and, and work through a lineup multiple times? I mean, maybe that's just becoming less of a factor now than it was five, 10 years ago. Um, but I think it's still important. On the other hand, the, you know, the college coach is probably the one calling the pitches from the dugout and wants to win games <laughs> today. Yep. right now um so like okay like it yeah it does benefit a guy to develop a change up for you know for his team and all that but like uh, like if it's not there yet like <laughs> maybe we're not gonna call that pitch very much and we're just gonna you know if it's not on during maybe work on it in the off season and if it's not working right away during the season maybe that pitch gets scrapped and yep. uh something they just don't call a lot. A good example of this, season. I feel like early in 2024 is Jonathan Santucci at Duke. Uh, he's thrown two games, 11 innings total, 17 strikeouts. He's used his slider 61% of the time, the fastball 38% of the time, and he's only thrown a handful of changeups, just 1%. And this is a guy who like might have an above average changeup, and the slider has just been so good. It's been called so frequently, and he's both pitching backwards, establishing the zone of the slider. Um, and just hasn't used it. And it's understandable to me from what you just said of why you would do that. If you've got a really good breaking ball, really good fastball, it, it only is really helping out your opponents if you're using those pitches less frequently at some level. Um, but I definitely feel a lot more confident if you at least show a changeup that looks good. Like like Paul Skeens a year ago. I don't think he threw his changeup very much at all. Um, when you're throwing 98 miles an hour and holding that velocity and you've got a 70 slider, and you can locate both those pitches, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me in college that you're not throwing a changeup, but he did flash a plus changeup when he did throw it, and it looked like a real weapon. And so that just gave me even more confidence projecting him forward and feeling good about like the fastball-shaped criticisms because he did have that changeup and he did have great uh, location for it. It just helped me feel more confident in the overall projection of him as a high-level starter at the next level because he had, he had flashed a little bit and you had seen it at times. Yeah, and you're going to have days too, like, all right, well, my, my slider isn't on or maybe it just doesn't feel like it's at its best this day. Okay, well, I do have mm. the changeup or I have, you know, the splitter now, <laughs> thankfully becoming. Hey, a, you're, you're, this is your year, Ben. I feel like everyone is like developing a splitter at the amateur level. We've heard about a lot of pitchers trying to develop splitters. It sounds like, or it seems like a lot of co uh, pro pitchers, the major league level are experimenting with splitters. We've got uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who's got multiple splitters i guess at this point it's it's your year yeah i mean the, the japanese pitchers have always thrown it like the cuban pitchers have always thrown it you know like until they come to the states it's it's the you know the american like professional uh i guess amateur too like you, you didn't you really see a lot of uh splitters at the collegiate level mm. either but like anybody who comes to the American baseball system in the last like <laughs> uh, 20 years, cause it used to be a bigger pitch and then yeah. it went away. Cause people either thought it was like an injury risk or just like a, a 
trick pitch maybe that it's <laughs> just like wanted everybody to throw a basically Casey Mize and Hurston Waldrop are the two guys that I can think of that like had splitters as like a focal point of their arsenal yeah I mean and those are even more like recent yeah guys, exactly. especially in, yeah. in Waldrop's case so um no I'm happy to see and it's, look it's not like a pitch for everybody but I mean it's such a it's such an effective pitch when it's on there's probably some probably some bias too right because if you if you throw a if you throw a below average splitter you you really just don't throw that pitch ever in a game Mm -hmm. because it just is a a (laughs) batting practice fastball (laughs) it's gonna get clobbered so like if a guy can't throw a good splitter like you'll see like guys who throw a bad breaking ball still but um but you don't see a lot of bad splitters because they're just not going to yeah typically you can have like a bad a bad breaking ball at least has some utility as maybe like a strike stealing pitch like i think of like the most common bad pitch that is routinely in pitchers arsenals seems to just be like kind of a soft curveball that is not used often it's not really an end zone miss pitch it's just maybe like a pitch that's kind of a change of pace keep hitters off balance maybe sometimes you can attack early with it when it's just not expected just you don't use it that much uh it's mostly just to steal a strike here or there um, but yeah, the fact or, that you can land it for a strike is its value, basically. Yeah, or, or if you splitter, have a, that's kind of the weakness. Yeah, if if you have a minor league pitcher who has a forty changeup or a forty slider, like the organization is going to still have you continue to throw that to develop yeah. that pitch. If you throw a splitter and it's you know and it sucks, like the organization is probably going to tell you to scrap that pitch and just stop throwing it. Uh, maybe that's going to change now going forward as more teams are becoming more uh, open-minded and receptive to the splitter um, being a, a part of more pitchers arsenals. But like before, like, like Cuban pitchers would come over throwing a splitter and teams would be like, oh, like we, we want this guy to, you know, go to a more conventional changeup. Like why? <laughs> if, if the splitter is effective for mm-hmm. him, like he just spent all this money on this guy. <laughs> why are we taking away pitches? And you know, like it's in some in some cases, I, I get the the reasoning for it, but in others, it's like, what, what are we? Why are we trying to change <laughs> this guy's arsenal already? If if you just you know you signed him, you liked him, but hey, uh, this is what I said about Paul Skeens like six months ago. So yeah did you uh did you watch paul Skeens face jackson holiday and adley rushman and uh the orioles today uh, no the, ben uh, i i didn't watch that it seems like a failure of me as a baseball fan right uh yeah because uh, i think the only way you could watch it is if you got on an airplane flew down to uh <laughs> bradenton or yeah or this is an abs it's yeah. just a missed layup from mlb to not have this game streaming i i would i think jeff posted it in our slack early this morning he's like oh by the way jackson holiday's leading off against paul Skeens." we're all like getting excited to watch it and mark is like throwing cold water on all of us he's like yeah this game isn't televised by the way we're like what 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 is the point you can, it's easier to watch like a, a division two college baseball game on espn than it is to watch major league spring training games yeah i don't know yeah it's it's strange i i just don't understand i have um, no clue like we talk about like, you know, <laughs> some like how it's hard to watch like AFL games sometimes. And it's like, well, the, like these are games going on in 
it's not like they're going on like the middle of nowhere. Like you have to like set up all the cameras and uh, find a like these are in big league spring training stadiums. What are we? Yeah, you basically had to rely on Jim Callis' video from behind the dish to see anything from this game. That's the only video I've seen from the game. This is like Jim's video. He's there, I guess, and watching, but it's insane to me. Yeah. I mean, there are, what, four number one picks in that lineup, uh, in that or in those lineups. Um, it Yeah, just it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, this Who has been a consistent four? issue with Steve, it. It's not oh. like... Henry Davis. Henry Davis, <laughs> yeah. Adley Russian, Paul Skeens, Jackson yeah. Holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you you really uh you've fallen off Henry Davis, Ben. That was that's tough tough. I was scene. trying to think of who the fourth one I was like, did the Orioles have another no no the Pirates had another one? <laughs> <laughs> and I think Heston Kerstad was uh in the lineup as well, and he was two. So yeah, just a lot of a lot of really impressive draft capital and just high profile prospects that a lot of people wanted to watch and they could not. So right. well I imagine it would have been fun to watch <laughs> yeah well who knows we could have talked about how paul Skeens looked but i don't know how he looked adley rutschman took him to the warning track that's all i know for a long fly out that's, that's all i saw from the game all right i'll use my imagination <laughs> all right any more thoughts on our like starter reliever conversation anything we missed that you wanted to mention or uh, should we move on to some other spring training stuff yeah i mean I, and i think it like it's different to like i i think watching i can see why chase burns got to college yeah right like he and he was he was throwing 100 miles an hour in high school right i mean yeah he was he was um i just had his report up from high school a second ago but he was like a really prominent name i'd say one of the more talented prospects from that draft class to get to campus he was he definitely had hit 100 miles per hour in high school um again i'm, I'm trying to pull it up to see exactly where we had him ranked um, and if there's anything notable to pull out of the report, but yeah, go ahead while I pull that up. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't like some under the radar guy that people didn't know about. Like he was, he was very famous. I mean, he's a high school pitcher. I mean, named Chase Burns throwing a hundred miles an hour. Like that's <laughs> going to make yeah. you pretty famous, right? <laughs> I've got it right here. He was ranked 49 in the class. Uh, we wrote, he had one of the better fastballs of the class. Uh, Ray and his heater up to 100 miles per hour, consistently getting into the upper 90s. Um, let's see here. Plus grades through multiple breaking balls at this stage. Now he typically just goes to the slider. Um, we write this. Burns brings some reliever risk to the table because of his history of throwing scattered strikes and given his long arm action that leads to inconsistencies with the timing and his delivery and the consistency of his secondaries. Still there for me. Um, but again, like the stuff is now even more elite at this point. He's like consistently getting towards the top end of his velocity. I think the slider is probably a full grade better at this point than it was. In how, school, how, but. how different of a high school profile is that for you compared to Daniel Espino, who also had a mm. pretty high octane fastball, also a very long arm swing in high school and a lot of um, issues with just fastball command consistency i think at uh at that time who's you know guardians obviously drafted him in the first round and has been outstanding when healthy and has not been healthy very often yeah i think that's an interesting comparison actually he was also touching 99 100 miles per hour um he'd shown multiple breaking balls curveball and slider um we had written that it was like an 80 grade potential fastball in high school 
Um, let me see here. I don't remember his. It, it has played that way in, when he's yeah. been healthy. I think Espino's command or control was probably better than Burns at the same time. There were questions about like command overall, but I think Burns had more trouble just finding the strike zone in general in high school. I mean, we had them ranked maybe around different. We had Espino ranked. Let's see. I, me- I remember him not going too far off where we had him ranked. He went 24th. Uh, we had him ranked 25th in the class. Um, but that's interesting now that you say that. I'm trying to think because there were and there were some injury question marks with him that popped up before the draft as well. Yeah, I think I would just say that like Espino's performance had me question him less at the time than Burns. And maybe that's the only mm-hmm. like shocking difference I can think about. Maybe like maybe I thought better about the secondaries. Maybe I had fewer question marks about the delivery. I think it was a little easier, even though there's still some length. I remember him being like a really great lower half mover on the mound, like just the way his legs worked in the delivery. Um, I remember definitely liking him more than Burns at the time out of high school. And I think that tracks just given where we had them ranked. Um, but it is an interesting comparison to bring up. Yeah. I think um, maybe, maybe just like in general with, you know, like cause we, we've been talking about college pitchers. It's mainly the college guy. Yeah. I mean, the, there's high school baseball going on right now in like Florida and Southern mm-hmm. California and some of the Southeastern yeah, States. but a lot of our high school guys will start making some noise like this coming month in March. Yeah, and some big events coming up. But for you know, for the high school pitchers or for the you know the sixteen-year-old international pitching prospect, you're looking at like when you do. Uh, I, I think some of these factors, you know, like we talk about, like oh, like yeah, maybe like I'm not as concerned about the delivery stuff with this you know college guy who's gone out and you know is <laughs> sitting upper 90s with a wipeout slider and again you know whether it's him or you know burns or smith like you know have to continue this success deeper in but if you know if the perf- if the performance is there uh, maybe i'm i'm less concerned about how the delivery works or with a, a high school pitcher like uh like th- there's there's more there's more that they need to prove long term and and mm. i think yeah like you you are looking more for like the components and like the operation and the building blocks like some of the the ease of operation there i i think is important um like if like there, there are guys who you know you, you can have a 16 year old pitcher who throws 95 96 like if there's nothing else there in <laughs> the arsenal, like if, if he really struggles mm. to have feel for any kind of an off-speed pitch, like there's a ton of effort in the delivery, not a lot of strikes. It's uh, like a profile that maybe, you know, it's still interesting. It's, you know, still a prospect obviously, but um, it's, it's less interesting to me than the, the same pitcher who, you know, pitcher the same age who, um, you know, has maybe more, again, like physical projection is, is part of yeah. it to the, the body, like how much more strength there is that can come and uh, where you can expect more velocity gains mm-hmm. once the pitcher just gets stronger. Um, but, you know, the that guy who's I mean, the, the more burly, maxed out 16-year-old who's pumping 95, 96 already, but doesn't have much of a breaking ball, doesn't have uh, a whole lot of feel for where the ball is going yet 
uh, and has a lot of effort. His delivery is, is less appealing to me than the yeah. you know pitcher is the same age who's uh, maybe touching 92 right now, but does it with mm-hmm. a lot more ease, much more feel for spin, throwing a lot more strikes, and and you can see a lot more strength projection to layer on and, and start throwing harder uh, yeah. in the future. Just guys who already look like relievers at you know 16 or <laughs> 18 years old is a little bit a little bit more worrisome uh to me uh, and, I, and i think that's why you see a lot of those guys who do that end up going to college especially nowadays mm-hmm. like maybe like i mean like riley pint went what fourth overall or second <laughs> i mean he went yeah riley pines went either second yeah. or fourth and then uh, who's the other flamethrowing uh high school guy out of oh, Texas? tyler tyler, tyler Kolick. yeah yeah, yeah like, you just you don't know, think you see, I don't think you see those pr- types of profiles going as high, especially at the mm-hmm. high school ranks as as we used to. Yeah, especially if you just look to like I, there was a recent podcast where you mentioned this. Like, there are just not a lot of high school right-handers or high school pitchers in general that are going in the first round. And so, if there's there's only a limited amount of players who are going to get signed from that demographic, not only are you competing with all the pitchers in the class, you're competing with all of the other um, high school pitchers who are willing to sign for the amount of money that it's going to take to get you out of your college commitment. And then when you pair that with the fact that like teams are so risk averse in general, um, I think like outside of high school catcher, maybe high school right-handed pitchers, like the one demographic where you'll just have teams that just aren't going to draft that profile in a certain round range. Um, and if you're not going to commit to like top five round money, you're not going to get a lot of these guys who have this great stuff and think that they're, worth this money it might be but just need to go to college and prove it so you just like you filter a lot of those players out just given how most teams seem to operate and the amount of money that's available in the draft for those profiles and, and there's i also just i mean looking at this year's draft and i'm you know, looking like a year beyond now too to 2025 there's there's just a lot of good arms in high school yeah i mean so if you mm-hmm. why why take a guy you know if there's like a jackson job like yes take him in the first round if there's a noble meyer yes <laughs> take him mm-hmm. in in the first round i'm you know in on yeah. in on that andrew painter right um <laughs> but yeah but to your but, point there are a lot of high school pitchers who are throwing in the mid 90s and have flashed like uh solid breaking balls and maybe they just don't have the inconsistency and they've got good frames maybe they just need to pack on strength like this yeah, class projection high school players there. you can get into the hundreds and see players with really great stuff with live arms and can spin the ball and yeah have a lot of good indicators yeah, so there's there's just a lot more depth of options there if you're you know willing to wait outside the first round, and I think teams are yeah. thinking, all right, well I'll take the whether whether it's college or high school hitter where there's all right, I'm not worried that this guy's gonna be, you know, like what Daniel Espino, who's like again like looks great when he's has been healthy in a very limited spurt, or you know like Forrest Whitley who. I think we had him as the top pitching prospect in baseball at one point. Yeah. It looks phenomenal and hasn't done anything in, you know, of any note in the last uh, few years and, and maybe something still comes of it, but um, certainly not, uh, not ha- haven't gotten a whole lot of value out of that. Who do you e- think- even though he went out and looked phenomenal for a year, a couple of years. Who do you think has more prospect value right now for MLB teams, Daniel Espino or Chase Burns? Oh, Chase Burns. And not a question for uh, you. I mean, like with with Daniel Espino, it's been multiple injuries. Uh, it's been, 
I don't want to double check this because I don't want to operate on the wrong uh, or injure the wrong body part of him, but I believe it's, <laughs> it, it was shoulder mm-hmm. with him too, right? Um, he, he hasn't been... <sighs> yeah, he I mean, had a uh, shoulder strain and then... Yeah, shoulder um, always is yeah. very disturbing to me. He's had a knee injury and a shoulder injury, essentially. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, he didn't he didn't pitch at all last year. He threw 18 innings the year before, so 18 innings in two years. Uh, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to like go into him like too extensively because I talked about him a lot. But like, yeah, I mean, Ch- Chase Burns is healthy now, showing the stuff that he has right now like i i wouldn't have Dan, I, w- I would not have a spino in my top 100 and we and we don't have a spino in our top 100 right now either but yeah. i i think chase burns if he if he continues this like we'll be in our top 100 mm-hmm. um again maybe he like backs up and has a terrible <laughs> rest of the season or something but um you know what what i'm curious about for i i get well let me ask you is would you take a spino over Burns or I it's I think it's it closer close? for me. I mean yours yours is a snap answer and it's making yeah. me like wonder if I'm crazy, but I just feel more confident about Daniel Espino's command and control. And I think to your point earlier, like you're really adamant about avoiding injuries with pitchers, uh that or maybe just players in general. I actually was much more uh, like I penalize players a lot more for injuries this year on the top 100 process. So I'm, I'm slowly getting more towards you, but I don't know that I'm like what he's shown in the minors was just so good. It's hard for me to fully forget that. And I also just have, I think I have more reliever concerns with burns than you do. So it is closer. I don't know. I don't know which one I would rather have. Yeah. Well, going back to Forrest Whitley, what's what the, <laughs> we kept saying, we kept putting them, Pretty high up the Astros system. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm curious about. So let's say, let, let's say Chase Burns. You know, it's too it's too soon yet, maybe. But let's say it's April first, right? And you know, we've gotten into ACC play, and um, and and Chase Burns is just dominating, right? Um, does that would that change how you feel? about chase dolander at all who was also at tennessee last year and did not have i mean it wasn't like a bad year but it wasn't a great year like it certainly seems like he took a step in the wrong direction at at tennessee last year does that affect how you maybe view dolander as a bounce back candidate coming into a claim basically like you would you would credit Tennessee more with some of the things that haven't gone well with the pitchers and like Chase Burns leaving Tennessee and doing well with a different program would make you feel better about Dolander. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, the idea that okay, maybe he could be a change of scenery candidate, like get him into a new development program. I don't know if necessarily yeah. like the Rockies are like, you know, maybe it would be like your top five dream organization <laughs> for that, but just as somebody who, hey, this guy has clearly has really good stuff. Let's get mm-hmm. him with, um, you know, just a, a different training environment and, or pick off some other um, areas where we can fine tune some things. Cause it seems like a lot of scouts um, thought last year who, who were watching chase Dolander were like, yeah, like he's not having 
the greatest year, but mm. like we we think we can fix them. Yeah, I think I would still. I don't know how much because I think Wake is just so good at what they do with pitching in general. I don't know that I would necessarily penalize like what Tennessee had done with their pitchers too much. And I think Chase Burns going to the bullpen actually worked out well for them. Like he was not pitching good as a starter with Tennessee uh, prior to that move, um, and it panned out. And I think Tennessee has Drew Beam, who's like such a different pitcher than all of these guys. Chase Chase Dolander and Chase Burns are, are very different pitchers. So I don't know that I'd want to draw too many. Um, like takeaways just from like what they're doing with other programs. I do think that like just thinking about Chase Dolander right now, uh, I'm curious which of these players you take, but I would still be much more comfortable betting on Dolander moving forward. And I've always been very high on him. Uh, it's hard for me to forget about what he looked like in 2022. He's kind of like a, in the Dylan Lesko grouping of pitchers that I'm just going to like probably consistently be high on um, until they prove that they are not the sort of pitchers I think they can be. I think Dolander, his baseline of like command, his pitch mix, I think are just better than Chase Burns. You could say that the fastball and the slider are both better for Burns than Dolander, but I, I have a lot of confidence in Chase Dolander moving forward. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think whatever Burns does this year would change my mind too much about like how I'm viewing Chase Dolander. Uh, but I am now really excited to see what Chase Dolander does, and I'm and I'm curious if you if you could take either of these pitchers, would you rather have Dolander or Burns? Because uh, we do have Dolander on our top 100; he's number 64 uh, or 61 on our top 100 for 24. Yeah, see, I would probably have Dolander lower than that. Um, Man, I I might I might have I think I would take I think I would take Burns. Uh, talking to, talk again like a couple months. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how Chase Burns is doing, but I mean, and to your point before, like Chase Dolander became the guy that was like <laughs> at that time considered the number one pitching prospect in that twenty three draft class when he mm -hmm. was pitching at, at his first year at Tennessee. So, like, yeah, I'm clearly, curious. Yeah, I'm curious how Burns for him. Burns could certainly get to this tier, and he, maybe he's already there for some scouts, but like. Chase Dolander's reputation as a pitching prospect entering 23 was, uh, it, I mean, he was viewed as like one of the better college pitching prospects we'd had in years. So uh, maybe it's, I, I think maybe it's easy to be a little biased with, with recency to forget that. And maybe it's a case where like that Chase Dolander was just kind of the blip and that's not the norm. But I just think the way he does everything, uh, the way he moves on the mound, uh, the command he showed, the fastball slider, like his field of spin, both the fastball and the slider, um, the changeup he's shown, he's shown a curve. But like, I just think he does a lot. He does so many things well that I'm just still going to buy in until we prove otherwise. Um, so, yeah. Carlos is going to pull up uh, Chase Dolander <laughs> 2022 highlights on YouTube. Yeah, I really, yeah. I'm like, in my mind, I'm just, it, <laughs> I, I can see his, his like delivery and his fastball slider. Like the first time I sat down and like watched some of the video from him when I was like, what? It just, it just looks so good when it's right. And it's just, it's hard for me to forget that. 2024 will be very important for him. It'll like reset expectations for Dolander, I think in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a fascinating conversation to have. So you're, yeah. you're not in on Drew Beam at this point? We're talking about all the Tennessee pitchers, Dolander, Burns. Beam's pretty good. You, you like him or no? Uh, not to this level. <laughs> like, I don't think he has the kind of electricity coming out of his hand yeah. that these guys do. Do you know what he does have that these guys don't? An immaculate track record of starting in college baseball. That's what he has. Yeah, yeah. No, that'll help.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it will. I like Beam quite a bit, but yeah, we're, we're talking about different different sort of stuff here. Okay, yeah. well, this was a fun pitching conversation, Ben. Are there any other guys you want to lump into this to this group? Uh, unless unless you have more guys, I kind of want to talk some spring training prospects who are yeah let's jumping out a little bit. Well, there there have been guys you've actually seen that you want to talk about. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think spring training this early in spring training, it's important because the I, I love it because I I can if a guy is off to a, like a good start or he just has you know a couple uh you know big hits off somebody in the ninth inning <laughs> of a spring training game you know he's four for seven or uh, something like that if it's a guy i was really high on i can pat myself on the back and use it as evidence to show that i was right um or if a guy's off to a slow start it's well it's obviously just the beginning of spring training and i can i can just kind of uh write that off as, as that so that's what <laughs> that's what's that's what i love about spring training <laughs> Yeah, this is good. You, in, you can, in February, it, it seems like you can also really just overreact to what pitchers are showing in like five pitch samples too. It seems like you're allowed to do that as well. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's probably more signal in some of that now than there used to be. Certainly, like five, ten years ago, when there probably. was less, like. Uh, like the Hawkeye or, or you probably other. have better ideas of like what is meaningful to you. You have more, more data to look at and parse and look at changes and see whether it's like, Oh, this isn't a new pitch or this guy has maybe changed the shape of this pitch. Uh, but I have seen a lot of people getting really excited for, for velocity being up for players in like one inning, which I think maybe that one you want to, wait. even when we were talking about Hagen Smith, I was saying, let's like see how the velocity is tracking over a full season. So, yeah, well, like before it would be, Maybe like again, like five, ten plus years ago, it'd be you'd be relying more on uh, like people would be like going off like you know the the statistics from spring training, which I, I don't think there's gonna be a whole ton of signal in that. I mean, you have guys who are sometimes like just throwing fastballs, like they're out there, especially early in spring training, working mm. on specific things. Um, you're hitting, you're, you know, you're facing guys late in the game that maybe haven't pitched above low a yet. it's i don't think there's a whole lot of meaningful signal in that um or you're going off of anecdotes from you know whether it's managers club personnel or scouts from other organizations oh like this guy's curveball seems like it's better than before like uh, like whereas now we have a much wider range of quantifiable data that we can use to um, assess you know velocity movement on a wider you know just a much wider range of players so if there's something like okay this guy's throwing 99 right now again like what a guy is averaging on his fastball in spring training when he's maybe throwing like an inning or two as opposed to trying to pace himself over a a full season yeah like that's not super meaningful to me, but if we see a guy's throwing 99, where the fastest recorded fastball we have from him before is like 96, 97, yeah, <laughs> I think there's probably some signal in that. Like we see a guy actually does have a new pitch and we have data on that pitch. Um, 
yeah, I think there's some more mm. meaningful signal in that than we that we used to be able to get from spring training. So I, I think there, there there can even this early in spring training be some um, meaningful, actionable information to use. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like <laughs> there's probably and and look like we're a media company ourselves. Like, um, you know, we're looking for content too right there's a certainly a uh, a lot of people whether it's for a, a media company or or just on social media um that want to uh you know just just have a uh, incentive to try to um you know get uh you know write write something <laughs> and and try to make it meaningful yeah. from and everyone's itching training. to write about players at this stage of the season too we've had a whole off season where we're writing about 100 percent stuff yeah. that's not happening so I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So who are some players that have been fun for you? I mean, I feel like the guy who's jumped out the most to me has been James Wood. Uh, Just seeing some of the monstrous home runs he's hit so far. I think he's already hit three. Just the sort of leverage and power he has and the freakish tool set and size and speed that he provides is is pretty fun. He's been maybe a standout. uh, Also seeing... I mean, Dylan Cruz, I love Dylan Cruz. Uh, one of the hits he I had was, was <laughs> one of the hits he had was just classic Dylan Cruz, letting the ball travel, driving hard right back up the middle. Maybe not as sexy as like a James Wood home run, but I just, I think he's such a good pure hitter. Um, yeah. Who, who for you has been a standout? Uh, the Termar Johnson hitting two home runs in yeah. a game. Um, I think that was fun to watch. I, Two very I, I different think, pitches. I think one was like a slider down in a way or maybe down and in, and then he took a fastball that was elevated. Um, looked great on both of them. Bat speed looks awesome like he always has. I think there were some people who who didn't realize, and I know that Tamar's his reputation as like hit, hit versus power has changed since his amateur days, but we were always very high in his power, his bat speed, his strength, his ability to, to hit for power in-game. I think there were some people who didn't realize – even still, like how much raw power he really has, and I'm still maybe more optimistic on his pure hitting chops than I, I think many people are in the industry. Yeah, Georgia, but between between Drew Burris and, and Termar Johnson, they're just mm. growing these uh, yeah. five foot <laughs> seven, five foot eight, uh, squatty spark dudes plugs who just yeah. yeah have huge bat speed and can <laughs> hit the. Uh, uh, how do I? <laughs> <laughs> Who can hit the ball really, really hard? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think sure. you're allowed to curse on this podcast, Ben. If that's where you're headed, <laughs> uh, yeah, try to keep it. Uh, All the eight year olds who are listening to us break down prospects here. <laughs> well, the I, I just, I mean, Tamar just has so much bat speed. I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think anybody who saw him as a amateur um, or just like watch this guy like try to unload when he gets into one in BP uh, can see the power is it is I mean it's surprising certainly for uh, somebody mm. who's five foot eight but he has a ton of a ton of bat speed to be able to impact the ball um, and and I think and just let, to get like, his barrel to those locations I feel like shows his like I really think he's still going to be a good hitter have you how much have you cooled on his pure hitting ability because again he was the most highly touted pure hitter out of high school specifically that I've ever seen. 
and scouts who've been doing it a lot longer than me said he was the best in like 20 years. Like, and I don't think that's hyperbole. People might think it's hyperbole now because he hasn't lived up to the the reputation of being that sort of pure hitter. Do you think he still has a chance to be like a 70 grade hitter? Um, a chance? Uh, yeah, I I wouldn't bet on it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably said about most. Uh, what, <laughs> yeah, that's a 19, safe bet with everyone. Nineteen year olds in the. Uh, I think in I think it's a safe bet for literally every player that you could mention. Yeah. Um, I I think this year I'm cur- I'm curious to see though if, if we will find more of a a balance between contact and power because it seemed like there were times where he was trying to sell out more to generate that power because we, mm-hmm. we did see we saw we saw power last year i mean even in <clears throat> even before he got to greensboro which is a, a launching pad in, in high i mean in in low in in bradenton he had 13 home runs in 75 games uh it's like a 204 isolated power um there's there's clearly power there i don't know if he was like just trying to prove to everybody that he <laughs> uh he had that power or just or, or or what exactly was going on but there was more there was more swing and miss certainly than i expected because when you watched him as an mm-hmm. amateur he'd be going you know facing good pitchers and he could put the bat to the ball pretty consistently on tough pitches like like knock it the other way when he needed to um we we still saw a lot of patience like it wasn't when i say all or nothing it was more like with the with the swing not in terms of like being a free swinger and just swinging at everything like you yeah. do 101 walks last year yeah he um, swung 38 percent of the time which would be a pretty low rate just in in terms of swinging in general but the miss rate was over 30 percent yeah so he like again like it's an advantage that you know whether it's him or like jet williams like if you're five seven five eight you got a small strike zone you need to take advantage mm-hmm. of that advantage that you do have and he does do a good job of offsetting those strikeouts by drawing a, a ton of walks to keep his on base up i mean he had a 422 on base last year uh between two levels so uh, i think we'll see think slash I'm optimistic that we'll see a, a better balance between uh, contact and power because I think ultimately it'll it'll only help him because he, he has power in there. I don't think he has to sell out to be able to generate that power. He has yeah. so much bat speed. I think it'll help it'll help the on base. I think it'll help the, the slugging too. I think it'll just make him overall a more, more complete and more dangerous uh, offensive threat. Yeah, I agree. I'll be fascinated to see what he looks like. I'm still I'm still optimistic that he can get to at least plus hitting ability. I think we have him as like an above average hit tool at this stage, but I, I'm I think he can get to better than that. Uh, okay, who else? Who else have, has been impressive to you, or someone who's notable for you? I think one other thing I wanted to mention too, and I don't want to forget, is with all of these spring training performances. I've really liked the prospect wire feature on our website. I think that is an an awesome new addition to just try and like give you guys more prospect content. And it also like, I love it because I can stick some amateur content in there as well. If you guys are not familiar with the prospect wire at baseball America, it is a new feature that we've rolled out on the site. It's kind of an expansion of what the prospect report is or was BAPR, um, where each day you'll just get notable performances from prospects around the league. 
Uh, but in this version, you kind of can get all that information in one spot. You can search by team, you can search by position, you can search for specific players. So um, at the end of this year, you can basically go to this section uh, and see all of the little blurbs we've written about all these players. So hopefully it's just a way for you to get more information from us quicker, um, whether you're into fantasy and that'll help your decision-making for your fantasy teams, or if you're just a prospect junkie and want to know about this, I think it's a, just a really cool new fun feature on the site and hopefully kind of an indication of what we can keep doing with the new redesign of the website moving forward. So just wanted to plug that really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, uh, yeah. Spencer Jones, monster home run, junior Caminero, uh, monster home run nothing nothing new nothing <laughs> not that we learned anything from that other than just getting some uh joy from watching those guys do do the expected um south frelick though playing uh playing infield it's a little playing infield for the brewers now um that wouldn't surprise me i mean he has he has background he has experience playing mm-hmm. in the infield um prior to signing with the Brewers and the Brewers definitely have a crowded outfield and Jackson Cheerios. I don't know if he's going to be there necessarily opening day. If not, he's going to be there pretty soon. So I can, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. Cause they, they definitely have more of a need in the infield, but like it's, it's one thing to ask a guy to, move from the outfield to the infield in once he gets to the minor leagues and and develop there it's another thing to have to do that and (laughs) do it immediately in the big leagues where like you know if you boot a ball in in a double a game or you know you're going through a learning curve in high a or triple a like eh, it doesn't really matter if you do it in the major leagues <laughs> like the the outcome matters a lot more it's a lot more i mean uh, this this one doesn't make a lot of sense to me unless the brewers are actually going to go ahead and trade willie adamas because they also just traded for joey ortiz this offseason they have bryce Durang. like if those three players are all there i don't really know where south relic is playing uh, but you're right they do have a, a lot of outfield maybe this is just a, a case of like they want him to have that versatility. They do have a lot of position depth at, at his best position in the outfield. Um, maybe it, it can't hurt for him to get more reps there. Maybe it's like an emergency thing. I don't know what their plan is moving forward. I think it's fascinating because, like you said initially, you don't typically see the outfield to infield conversion. It's it's more rare to get that sort of Mookie Betts uh, path. Um, so it's maybe always more notable when it happens. Oh, well, yeah, Mookie th- Betts, I mean, he came up as a – infielder yeah, in the minor like J- jason kipnis i mean i guess he had a background yeah also previously in the infield um but he got dra- he was an outfielder when he mm-hmm. was drafted the guardian or indians at the time moved him uh they're like we're gonna put him at second base i was like what <laughs> okay and it worked out like <laughs> but he also had more time to like come through the system in the infield whereas frelk is being asked to like all right do this <laughs> now at the major leagues and and he's somebody who i mean his speed is he's, i mean he's a really good athlete i think his speed plays best in the outfield and i think he probably fits best for them still mm-hmm. in the outfield but um 
curious to see how this ends up. Yeah, a lot of actually the brewers, a lot of the brewers, like positional moves and roster moves, I think will be fascinating with their team. Like, how are they going to use Deal Hall? How are they going to use Joey Ortiz? How are they going to use Self Relic? When is Jackson Torrio going to come up? Tyler Black, too. Yeah, Yeah. that's another one. Like, I would think of Self Relic. I know third base has been the discussion. Has he played like second base as well? Second just feels more natural to me for a player like this. But yeah, like, where's Tyler Black going to play when he comes up? I just feel like Willie Adamas has to be traded if this is like an actual real change for him beyond just maybe getting a little experience in case he needs to be like an emergency move or something. Yeah, like a utility yeah. type situation. They do have a lot of athletes here on this team, though. Fun. Uh, Brewers could be a fun team. Yeah, I think I think they're going to be better than people expect. Like people are real down on the Brewers. And, and are they what? that down? I mean, uh, like, it feels like the NL Central is a pretty competitive division. You could pick, I think, four teams and feel reasonable about it. Like, if uh, you want to be behind the Reds, if you want to be behind the Cubs, like Cardinal, like I, I feel like it could be just a fun division overall to watch. I like a lot of yeah. their players. I mean, for a team that won won the division, won ninety two games last year, like I don't think, I, I don't know, I don't think they're even ex- generally the expectation is that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, if you don't have them winning the division, I imagine most of your like wild card picks will be from the east or west. So that that doesn't shock me. But I, I mean, they've had some big like you know, obviously like Woodruff, Burns, like <laughs> some big fish missing that they're gonna have to mm-hmm. find a way to get better. You know, replace that kind of production, but or not even yeah. replace because they're not gonna be able to do that. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I I, I think there's more upside like their young prospects are coming up mm-hmm. now and there's probably going to be some learning curve for a lot of those players as we saw uh last year with some of those guys but yeah um, i guess it's like if you're trading away your ace maybe a lot of people are just thinking okay you're rebuilding now but i think you have to give the brewers credit for they've been one of the few teams that has really tried to be competitive without bottoming out maybe you you just can't even bottom out um in the future it'll be great if that's the case with new rules that have happened with the draft lottery um and things like that but i I think the brewers would be one of the teams i'd point to actually as a a team that has done a nice job kind of rebuilding on the fly and in remaining competitive and with a lot of the young players they have coming up with what they did with jackson chorio with how they do pitching development just in general i wouldn't be shocked at all if they were a competitive team no I, i actually think they're gonna make the playoffs yeah i think they're trying to like thread that needle of like uh you know rebuilding but now like do you call it rebuilding like they don't really need to rebuild they have the no, retooling uh, yeah i mean they have the number two farm system in baseball they don't have to tear it all down yeah. to like get better and a lot of those players are gonna be contributors or, or at least in the mm-hmm. picture this year yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think I'd be with, right with you on on your excitement for the Brewers. Yeah. Um. All right. Any other players? I, I admittedly uh, haven't watched in too much spring training, but I've, I've just been kind of following along with various highlights and things. No, you know what I I, I am excited though is about we put our twenty twenty six rankings up this week, and I I'm very much excited about. Well, uh, I thought I, I, I was excited about the 25 class, and then you put out the 26 class, Ben, and you're just, you keep um, getting me excited about our, these future waves of talent because it sounds like the 26 class is pretty exciting too. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very exciting. I think the the top 10 as a whole is very strong. Like 
pretty much any player. And this from... is just the 26 high school class you're talking about. Correct? Yeah, just talking about the yeah. the high school class. Like, I mean, there's good. I think like, but there's good college players too. It was a, it was a good 2023 high school class, and we had guys get to college. Like uh, we mentioned, Burris obviously. Uh, Rock Chalowski at UCLA, the shortstop. Cam Johnson, Cam Johnson the yep. left-handed pitcher at LSU. Um, I saw, so, so I've been, <laughs> seen Joey Volchko pitching at uh, Stanford. He's been, I mean, the stuff looks pretty electric coming out of his hand. There's, there's actually some good college guys too, but yeah, this, this list is just the high school players. Mm-hmm. So um, I think anywhere from like two to eight or, or two to ten like you can make a case for the, any of those guys being number two you know why it's great too there's a ton of short stops in that range ben love that yeah that's, I, that's I, the simplest proxy for if you have a good class or not i feel like it has to be you got you have a lot of good short stops and maybe it's a little bit um artificial because there are a lot of players in high school especially i'd imagine at this age who are playing shortstop who, who might move off in the future but if, if you've got a lot of high school short stops at the top of a board i'm already in yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good shortstops. I knew you would like that. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these guys do have a good, pretty good chance to stick. Nice at the position. Uh, some, you know, more so than than others. But um, I think there's there's some pretty good defenders at the position too. Like just good, uh, like a players like like a good mix of tools and skills. Mm. Um, and and more projection like athleticism more physical upside with these guys especially in the top 10 so you can kind of you know put them in different orders can't uh uh, wouldn't argue too much over uh which order but it's a really strong top 10 like we stop at 50 because it's typically where you get to that point where kind of like with our top 30s in the handbook we were like yeah this feels like (laughs) the right spot to cut it off at uh, this point, if we're talking about guys who we, you know, feel good about being draft prospects, but um, I feel like this year it could go even deeper. Like we you know we'll, mm. we'll, we'll eventually expand it to a hundred players, and and you know ideally go beyond that uh, as the the draft gets closer. Obviously, uh, I'll have a lot more than a hundred high school players, but um, but yeah, like this year I was like, man, there's there's more depth too than usual. Like good players uh, leaving off, so. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good list, but then mm-hmm. yeah, I think an especially exciting player at, uh, number one with uh, yeah. Grady Emerson. Tell us, tell us about Grady Emerson. You, I mean, I figured whoever was going to be at the top was going to be exciting, but I don't know that I was prepared for how excited I should be about Grady Emerson, just given what you said about him compared to all of the other high school players in the country, which does include, uh, Ethan Holiday, who is as, as hyped as they come. Uh, so you think Grady Emerson might be better? So he, he, yeah. So Grady Emerson, he's a left-handed hitting high school shortstop, uh, from Texas. Um, so, or, you know, from that, I think that Dallas Fort Worth area. So just like, just like your, your guys, Bobby Witt Jr. Mm. Uh, Jordan Lawler, um, fits your, again, fits your mold right there. Um, <laughs> He yeah he's he's super talented. He, he just I think he checks so many boxes that scouts look for. Like he so he just turned sixteen. So when everybody was watching him play last last summer, uh, he was still fifteen. So pretty you know comparable in age to 
international prospects who, who teams are, are scouting. Um, and I, I think if, you know, if you put him into that environment and, and stack him up with those players, like he's the type of player we would rank number one in international prospect class, the, you know, like the Ethan, the, like the Leo DeVry, Ethan Salas, uh, wow. Jason Deming, like not, you know, not, not all those guys end up being a, a top 100 guys like right away, but like whether it's mm-hmm. him or, you know, Marco Luciano, uh, you know, very different player, obviously <laughs> like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was mm-hmm. when he signs a uh, very different profile, but you're talking about that uh, tier of, of caliber of talent. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's so, high so he's, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, sh- so he's, I will start offensively cause that's, you know, the hitting is the most important part. Uh, he, he's probably the best pure, I, I would say, yeah, he's the, he's the best pure hitter in the class. It is a textbook left-handed swing. It's really short paths of the ball. It's adjustable. Uh, it's it, into the hitting zone early, stays there a long time. Doesn't matter if it's fastball, off-speed pitch, up, down, in, out. Uh, consistently finds a way to get the barrel to the ball. It's a, a very mature approach for his age. Uh, he'll use the whole field, uh, pitches outer third. He can drive into the opposite field gap. Uh, he can pull the ball. Uh, it's it's very easy. He just makes everything look very easy. He's, he's balanced. He's consistently on time. He, he recognizes pitches. Um, if, if, you know, we're going to nitpick something like it's, he makes hard contact. It's not like top of the class raw power, but again, we're talking about somebody who just turned 16. Like there's, you know, very six one, uh, there's bat speed there. He's still lean. Like the power is going to, uh, eventually tick up. Um, and you're still going to start seeing more of the, more of his doubles start turning into, home runs uh but it's basically what you want to how you want to draw up uh, a young hitter uh is <laughs> uh how how mm. he looks in in the box and then okay defensively he's a shortstop like you said a lot of guys are uh shortstop in name only and like you kind of know they're going to move off the position but uh i, I think he sticks it shortstop or, or has a very high probability of being able to stay there. He's athletic. He, he moves well at shortstop, uh, footwork, hands, uh, arm strength is there. Uh, he's a plus runner too. So um, all, <laughs> all, all of the boxes that you're looking yeah. to check as a, I'm scout. waiting for the negative to show up and it sounds like there is none. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, again, like waiting on the power, and you know, like he's still still has to get you know tested, I guess, against uh, you know more advanced competition. Although when he you know he has played up, and when he has played up against older competition, like he's been, he's still dominated. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's he's just he's very impressive, and yeah, like you alluded to, I, I think you can make a case that he is not just the best prospect in the 2026 class, but that he is the best prospect 
of any high school player uh, right now. So, I mean, think about, yeah. so like the 24 class would be like, you know, all right, well, the best guy probably should be in 24, right? So, uh, all right, well, we know it's it's kind of a down year, right, at the top of the mm-hmm. class. It's uh, not like last year when we had Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, but yep. all right. Th- so like the number two guy in the class for 24 is P.J. Morlando, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I really like P.J. Morlando. Uh, very good hitter, good swing, knows the zone, huge power. Um, it's bit, definitely bigger power than – Mm-hmm. Um, Emerson, um, and he's—I uh, I think that'll probably always be the case. I would—I would imagine. Um, but I, I think I might even take Emerson's hit uh, above wow. Morlando. Um, I think it's probably an even better pure swing. And, and again, I like Morlando's swing, but um, you know he hasn't—you know—he hasn't had the track record or hasn't had to face the kind of pitchers that more Orlando has, but then, okay, break them down defensively. Uh, you know, more Orlando, I think in, when he gets the big leagues, it's best case scenario, corner outfielder, or I think maybe good defensive first baseman, but mm-hmm. positionally, I mean, you have a potential shortstop versus a corner outfield first base. I mean, it's a clear advantage just in terms of positional value for, yep. uh, for Emerson. So, um, I, I, if I had to pick one of the two, like, you're like, Hey, like you get to pick one of these two for, you know, to build a, or just to add to your franchise, I, I would go with Emerson. Um, number one, uh, on our high school list is Connor Griffin. Um, I mean, Connor Griffin has crazy tools. <laughs> like it's, uh, uh, he's just a monster athlete and physicality at, you know, six foot four, uh, premium position, probably center field. I still would run him out at shortstop or be tempted to at least personally. Um, he has huge raw power, like a plus plus runner, uh, phenomenal arm strength. Um, who do I feel more confidence in offensively? Again, like it's, you know, Emerson hasn't had to face yet the caliber of pitching that Connor Griffin has, but um, I mean, operationally, I, I feel better about the the way Emerson does it. So, uh, and I, I think you can make an you can at least make an argument, yeah, either way there, which I think hopefully like speaks to the <laughs> caliber of talent that. Uh, Emerson is already that I, I think you can make an argument for him versus the top player in the current year's draft class. Yeah. No, that's pretty loud. It's a pretty loud praise for Emerson. Something about Emerson's um, just have a really strong ability to hit. Uh, have you seen Colt Emerson this spring? <laughs> uh, I haven't seen him this spring. I, I've just seen pictures of him so far. It looks like he's added a lot of strength. So I'm, I know we're already really excited about Cold Emerson in general, but man, the body looks good so far this year. But we got another Emerson unrelated to uh, keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, no relation, but definitely two very hitterish <laughs> young shortstops. Um, he was already, yeah, I mean, he was already hitting the ball really hard <laughs> last year. I mean, so. Grady Emerson is just a very good baseball name as well. So he's got that. 
It is. I, Col- I think Grady Cole's Emerson is, is too. I, I agree. I think both yeah. are both are good. It feels like there are a lot more Colts in the game right now than Grady's. So I, I think I'll lean Grady for that as well. Is there? It you feels think? like it. Is it? I, I just there are a lot of Colts. Colt yeah. Keith. Um, maybe Colt Keith is the only one I can think of. Can you think of another Grady? Grady. The only Grady I can think of is Sizemore. I'm not counting him. Yeah, I was thinking of like Colt Griffin from uh, <laughs> like way. Uh, <laughs> There's got to be another Colt. Let me actually do a quick B-ref check. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I can't think of like another Grady prospect, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of one either. Do we count Colton Cowser? No, it's different. Oh, Colton. yeah. They gotta we count Colton Cowser? Okay. Yeah, he could go by Colt. <laughs> he could, but I mean... Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'd lean, I'd lean Grady. Let me see how many Grady's pop up on a quick B-Ref search. Grady feels like a name that was really popular in, like, the 1920s or something. Not Grady Little, former uh, Red Sox manager. Yeah, we've got we've got a few Grady's on B-Ref. Grady Sizemore is the most recent that I'm seeing. A lot of, yeah, a lot of guys from the 1800s and early 1900s. Okay, anyways. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, again, so you said, like, you know, Obviously, Ethan Holiday, uh, as I think everybody knows, is our uh, not just our number one high school prospect for 25, but he's number one overall on our 2025 draft board. And, uh, you know, he's extremely talented. I mean, you know, I, I don't know where you think, like, I don't know, would you take Holiday versus uh, like Connor Griffin or oh, over yeah, yeah pretty, pretty easily yeah okay all right <laughs> so um yeah so i, I think that one that, that that one would be interesting because i mean ethan holiday also i mean talk about beautiful left-handed swing like all right well they they both have that mm-hmm. um it's kind of i mean you look we posted video and <laughs> there's a lot of it you can see of uh like grady emerson's swing it's it's a little almost like Reminds me a little of like Ethan Salas's swing. I thought of Derek Curiel right away when I saw it, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's some like the the ease of, and it also might just be the body type too. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I think like Emerson will be. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think, but I think Emerson is more like strength yeah. potential there. Uh, we'll see. We probably thought the same. <laughs> well, thing. Grady Emerson's body now looks like Derek Curiel's two years more advanced. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's that, like, like, like some similarities to Salas just in terms of like the swing, mm. like how okay. easy and compact it is now, you know, Ethan Salas has, uh, gone out and did what he did as a just turned <laughs> 17 year old in low A and can, you can throw him into a double A game and he'll, you're not going to ask who is that 17 year old catcher behind the plate yeah. what is he doing there you're gonna be like oh my god that <laughs> 17 year old catcher behind the plate defensively is like better than anybody else <laughs> back yeah. there so like he's obviously um has some other things that make him pretty special but um yeah i mean him holiday to beautiful left-handed swings holiday i think uh, <clears throat> certainly already has more power in it at six foot four um and just how like a very young six foot four frame. I think he's going to have, I mean, I, I think holiday could be a 30 plus home run type hitter. So I, I'd certainly give holiday the edge on power. Um, as, it as sounds a, like all the secondary tools you would go towards Emerson just as a defender, shortstop as a runner. 
And, and even as a hitter, again, like, you mm-hmm. know, we'll see more this summer. We'll, you know, have to face better, you know, the, the kind of pitching that we just saw Holiday face this past summer. Um, like, there, there is some swing and miss there with Holiday that I, I just don't there, – there has not been yet with Emerson. Like, Emerson is one of the lowest swing and miss rates in the class. Obviously, again, it's going to be another jump in – the caliber of pitching that um, he'll see uh, this summer playing, um, you know, you know, just guys are getting older and throwing harder and better stuff overall. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just don't see that changing with, yeah. with him. And then I think, yeah, defensively, like holiday, you know, continue at shortstop for now. Mm. Um, I, I would expect long-term it probably ends up at, yeah, third base or maybe even goes like you know like his dad Matt Holiday to uh, the outfield mm-hmm. uh, and you just put him in the middle of the lineup and he's still super valuable mm-hmm. uh, out there. Whereas Emerson, I think there's a a better better athlete, better runner, uh, higher probability of sticking at mm. shortstop. So um, I think. I think certainly Ethan Holiday is more famous right now, and oh, without uh, question, yeah. I mean, right, rightfully so. Uh, but it's, as, it's hard to it's going to be hard to top just considering Jackson, considering Matt, considering where Ethan's at now. Like, it would be very surprising if Grady became more famous, um, even if he is a better talent at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I just mean like, all right, well, like, it, like if you had to ask teams, like, like I, I just think teams probably just don't know. Well, certainly, that like the scouts in Texas know who yeah. <laughs> Grady Emerson is, and yeah. uh, you know, he's been on the U.S. like Team USA 15U national team the last two years. They didn't play. I mean, they played like a friendly series in the Dominican Republic last year, but uh, the year before that, he was so he, like he so he and Ethan Holiday were on that team at the U15 World Cup where they mm. won a gold medal. Um, so, um, you know, and he was obviously, I mean, Emerson was like the, that team was mostly 2025 players mm-hmm. and Emerson was a 2026 already on the team. So like, yeah. um, I, I, certainly the, the baseball world knows <laughs> who, uh, who, who he is. And uh, I think a lot more people will uh, know that name pretty soon. Yeah. Well, the class sounds great. Emerson sounds great. If you guys want to hear um, more about the class or know more about the class, Ben has detailed reports on all of the 50 players um, on this list on the site now. And we also have a 2026 first college list coming out in the next few weeks as well once we get a little more of a sample on what some of these freshmen in college uh, are actually doing. Um, So be on the lookout for that. Um, Ben, anything else today? It's been nice to be back on the pod with you. We've gone a full two hours. It feels like a classic future projection podcast. We talk some draft, talk some pro stuff. And now you're getting us up to date on a draft class we won't have to really worry about until two years. So we've we've made the rounds here. Yeah. Should uh, should we hit record now and, and start the podcast? <laughs> we got our reps in. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Sounds good. All right, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Another two hours to make up for last week. <laughs> yeah, we owe you guys. Um, so... Uh, again, my fault for that. But anything you want to plug moving forward or mention before we get out of here? Uh, no, just, yeah, just thanks everybody for uh, had a lot of people signing up. Obviously for the the season, so appreciate everybody. All the new signups we've been getting, uh, like Carlos said, pump, pumping away a whole bunch of content on the college side. Uh, check out Prospect Wire. 
Uh, like Carl said, we'll have some more frequent updates on that throughout the uh, the season. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, just saying thanks for uh, uh, all the all the new signups. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting BA. Really appreciate it, Ben. It's been fun. Um, and to all you guys for listening, thanks for hanging out with us. We will be back next week uh, to talk more baseball. So, see you guys. <laughs>